0: Good morning. Today's sermon is entitled Restoration, Hope for Hard Times. Close your eyes wherever you are, unless, of course, you are driving or laying in bed. We don't want to encourage accidents nor sleep. Let's pray. God of all people, we gather today to worship you. We humbly ask for the knowledge of your will and the power to carry it out. And if it is your will, we pray that you would powerfully and clearly speak hope and restoration in our hearts and minds. Use the songs, the prayers, the scripture, or even this message to do your work. I pray that my words might not get in the way. And if any person listening to this service right now or later in the week, somebody who's engulfed in despair or struggle, give them hope and remind them that they are not alone. Reveal to them your love discovered in Christ Jesus. Amen. I have a question, and I bet you do too. Now sometimes this question enters my mind as soon as I open my eyes in the morning and try to start my day. Other times it's when I'm about to drift off to sleep. And it can make its way to my brain when I'm flipping through the different news networks or when I'm scrolling aimlessly, surveying my social media feeds. And then it can vanish. But even when it's not front and center, it's always there kind of lurking. And I suspect, that this question has crossed your mind more than once over the last few months. In fact, I would bet some major money on it. Perhaps you haven't said it aloud, but it's still there. You see, this question surfaces when there is spiritual struggle, whether it's individual or collective, or when the presence of evil or pervasive suffering won't go away. You wanna know what the question is? I'll share it soon enough. I'm reading Dr. Robert Wicks' book, Riding the Dragon, that's a cool title, isn't it? He is a well-known author, speaker, and professor and offers retreats all over the world in the most difficult of times to people who are hoping for restoration, but not sure how to begin. He has worked with relief workers in Cambodia after years of terror and torture and those in Rwanda during the bloody civil war. In 2002, Dr. Wicks was invited to offer a retreat entitled Spiritual Darkness to a group that was desperate for hope. The participants, they were Catholic priests in Boston. The the gathering couldn't have come at a better time. You might remember 2002 was the height of the pedophilia scandal in the Catholic Church. And prior to the final day of the retreat, a high-ranking priest was removed from his position due to some explicit, credible accusations. The priest arrived to that final day shattered and demoralized. And as he was finishing up, a hand went up in the back of the room. It was the last question. And the priest said, I'd like to divinize you for just a moment. Dr. Wicks laughed and jokingly said, well, that sounds kind of dangerous. The priest laughed, but then the smile dissipated. He asked the question, if you could predict the future would you venture a guess of when this will end when this will end is the question we're all asking the question contains flickers of hope and flames of despair each of our individual this is might be a little bit different but i want to offer you some possibilities of what they are when will the pandemic end? When will the rioting end? When will racism, oppression, and equality end? When will the disaster of our political discourse end? When will our divisions in our country and church end? When will the exclusion of the LGBTQ community end? Or maybe your this isn't about the world but more personal in nature. When will the cancer be gone? When will my financial insecurity end? When will I be able to see my family again? When will my loved one's addiction break? I recognize that many of you are exhausted and there are legitimate reasons to despair. The world is tired. Our battle-worn country is tired with war, division, and hatred. So I want to ask you, what is currently exhausting you and making you weary? Where are you experiencing fear? I wanna invite you to put those things in the comment section on Facebook or on our online feed. Maybe you wanna put it in as a prayer request or have someone pray with you. You can click that prayer button right now. You know what? We are not the first people to ask this question, nor will we be the last. Native people have asked. It. African-Americans are asking it. The LGBTQ community and immigrants too. You see, the, the Hebrew people in Isaiah were suffering immensely. They were living in exile apart from their land, their re- religious customs, and God. And under the thumb of their oppressors, they were on the brink of extinction with a future very much in doubt. They wondered if things would ever return to normal. They too were asking, when will this end? When would God bring them back to Jerusalem? When? could the temple be rebuilt? When would they gather for worship together again? When would God's restoration be realized? And I imagine there were many among them that didn't believe restoration was possible. A far-fetched hope held only by delusional optimists and dreamers. And worse, the people thought they deserved it. Why? Because... Isaiah told them so. He delivered blistering judgment throughout the beginning chapters of the book. He hammers them over and over about why they deserve what they are getting, highlighting their sins and how the disobedience of their ancestors created this mess. Some of that might resonate with us too, huh? And they were scared. And we are too, because when people live with this when will it end question? It breeds doubt and fear. But in chapter 40, there's a turn, there's a pivot. It pivots towards comfort, toward hope, and towards restoration. Exactly what this downtrodden people needed to hear. They needed to discover, how do we hold on to hope in these unrelenting circumstances? And Isaiah, the first of the major prophets we're reading this Bible project, delivers The Hebrews long for an answer and so do we. But before we get to the scripture, let's return to 2002. When that priest asked, when would you venture a guess this will end? Here's how Dr. Wicks responded. Even if I was divine and could answer your question, I wouldn't. Because although the concern is a natural one, when you are in spiritual darkness, it's the wrong question. A more helpful one is this. Given all this spiritual darkness in me and in the church, what can we learn? You know, I can't offer an adequate answer to whatever your this is. And even if I could, I wouldn't. However, Isaiah's words and Jesus Christ will offer us ways to cultivate hope and we'll learn. Isaiah's voice is speaking on behalf of God to the people and addressing all of them. And right out of the gate, he declares to them the most frequently repeated instruction in the whole entire Bible. You know it, do not fear. And that's for you and me too. Now I suspect some of you thinking, yeah, all right, whatever. How do you do that? How do you do that in these circumstances? Isaiah says we must do these things. P, P, P. Nope, I don't mean the paycheck, protection program. He tells a despondent people to have courage and to walk through their fear. And you know what? He shows them how. He says that we must remember, we must connect, and we must claim God's presence, God's power, and God's promise. God's presence, God's power, God's promise. Say those words with me. Presence, power, promise. Isaiah's message to the people was not that there wouldn't be violent waters, not that there wouldn't be scorching flames, but in the midst of all those things, when there's a lack of evidence around us that calm and peace and justice will prevail, that God is indeed with us in all of it, and that someday restoration will occur. In the first seven verses, he lays out God's PPP and it moves us towards hope for restoration in difficult times. And God's PPP is infinitely more valuable and long lasting than any paycheck protection program. You know, I love that Isaiah uses both water and fire in these verses. He says that the waters and fires of the world won't overtake us, although it feels like they are. It doesn't it. And as Christians, we believe water and fire are the keys to having hope because our relationship with Jesus and the church gives us living waters of baptism and the fire of the Holy Spirit. As we jump into verse one, it says that God created and formed us, that he redeems us, calls us by name and declares, you are mine. Have you experienced this? are you willing to believe it? You see, that's what happens in the waters of baptism, a deep experience that God washes away our mistakes and our sins of the past, even the stuff we're doing now and the future. And God proclaims that we are God's and there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that can separate you and us from God's presence. God will not leave you, will not leave us And Christians for centuries have been discovering this truth in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus's Hebrew name, Emmanuel, actually means God with us. That's different than some of the other major religions. And that's okay. You see, Jesus lived and died a brutal death and was resurrected from the dead, enabling all people to know and experience God's presence directly. And God's presence not only gives us hope, not only restores our relationship with God and others, but ignites us to participate in God's transformation of the world here and now as we wait for heaven later. And to participate in that transformation, whether it be racial reconciliation or the LGBT community or transforming systems of the world or the church, or even shedding our individual habits, hangups and addictions that block us from God and love. We don't only have God's presence, but we have God's power. And God's power is the second P. Verse two says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. The Holy Spirit within us is guiding us convicting and encouraging and giving us hope in these circumstances that we're dealing with. And because of the Holy Spirit, we have freedom and power to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they're popping up. Have you asked for God's power in your life? Have you invited Jesus the Christ in? Have you tapped it? You know, some of the ways I try to tap God's power is through prayer, fasting, meditation, scripture. And you know what? Often the Holy Spirit shows up through other Christians, most for me, helps me tap into that power. When I need a word of hope, sometimes a person shows up and speaks a word at the exact right time. So I want to encourage you today to reach out to somebody and give them encouragement and hope. You can reach out to them, text them, call them, write them a letter, an email, whatever. But in honesty, sometimes we know it's hard to feel God's presence, even when we're doing stuff like that, even when people are reaching out to us. And that's where the third P comes in God's promise. We must remember the promises of God. We must hold on to them when we can't feel God's presence and we don't feel God's power. Isaiah delivers God's promise, which is a gift of liberation, even amidst the irresponsibility of their individual and communal sins, even though they were screwing up, even though their ancestors screwed up, God's promise was there, that thy kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, he didn't say it that way, but that's what we say. And in the last book of the Bible, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, and that God will wipe every tear from our eyes, and that death will be no more, mourning and crying will be no more, Why? Because God is making things new. That newness, brothers and sisters, siblings in Christ starts now. That is God's promise. Now, which will be fulfilled later. Presence, power, promise, God's PPP. In it, we can have hope. Now, a rising political star stood up to deliver a speech at the Wisconsin Fair. And to be honest, I read it. It was tedious and fairly boring. But the ending delivered wisdom and comfort that Isaiah, like, just like Isaiah did so many centuries ago. Here's the ending. This is what this guy said. Last two paragraphs. It is said an Eastern monarch once charged his wise men to invent him a sentence to be ever in view and which should be true and appropriate in all times and in all situations. They presented him these words. And this too shall pass away. How much it expresses, how chastening in the hour of pride, how consoling in the depths of affliction. And this too shall pass away. And yet let us hope it is not quite true. Let us hope rather that by the best cultivation of the physical world, beneath and all around us, and in the intellectual and moral world within us, we shall secure an individual, social, and political prosperity and happiness, whose course shall be onward and upward, in which, while the earth endures, shall not pass away. The orator, good old Abe Lincoln. This too shall pass. And as we wait, don't be afraid. God's presence will never leave you. God's power is working in you and in the machinations of the upheaval of our political, religious, and social unrest powerfully, sometimes even though it's in the dark. And lastly, God's promise will come true. And by living it, we get to answer to the more helpful question. What can we learn? In the name of the Father, the Creator, and the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, amen.